It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. Uh, I'm Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. Bill Koch is with me, Red Sox beat writer. Bill, how's it going? Uh, I'm a little sleepy today, Bill, but otherwise uh, everything is good. Well, fortunately, it was worth staying up last night. Uh, Red Sox did not uh, get swept by the Houston Astros. Uh, Mitch Moreland delivered. Um, and uh, Red Sox, as we sit here today on a Monday afternoon, are eight and a half games up in the division, steaming towards the, uh, towards the playoffs. 11 is the magic number. Uh, and uh, so, Bill, let's let's start with this series, and first of all, let's start with last night's game. Uh, good, good for them to get the win. Yeah, if uh, you know, I kind of said to to Mitch Moreland after the game, it seems odd to speak in terms of must wins when a team is fifty odd games over five hundred. But I think this was as close as you could get at this point in the year. You don't want to get swept against Houston. It's a team that knocked you out of the playoffs last year. It's a team that you could very well see on your way to the World Series this year if you hope to get there. Uh, they are the defending world champions, and you know they had won seven in a row into Sunday night and. You know, let's just face it, Bill. They're a very good baseball team. Uh, pitching, lineup, pedigree, um, you know, all the intangibles that they have. This is a very good team. And, and to be able to win any one game against them is good. Uh, probably most important, though, considering the way they lost Friday's game uh, and the fact that they sort of rolled over in Saturday's game. They absolutely had to get something out of this series and avoid what would have been their first home sweep of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... I think at this point in the season, with their lead and, and the fact there's only a few weeks left to play, uh, you know, playoffs obviously are a for, foregone conclusion. Division is essentially a foregone conclusion. Uh, but what you want to see is some consistency. You want to see some uh, good performances, um, and most notably, you want to see some improvement. I think out of the bullpen, which is uh, which was at fault really for for Friday's game, and it was it was a shame because David Price looked really good. Um, you know, in his outing on Friday night. Yeah, uh, you know, the bullpen obviously is, has been the, the subject of scorn and, and consternation throughout the year. Right. Some of it deserved, some of it may be projected, because it is the, the weakness on this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is going to get picked on because so many other areas of this team look to be so strong. Uh, you know, first we'll go to Sunday. Uh, good for Mitch Moreland. Uh, 34 games since the All-Star break. His slash line was 186, 254, 345. Mm. He's been struggling. Yeah. Uh, both with his swing and with injuries. Uh, he's got a sore knee. He's been battling it. He won't say anything about it, but you know that he's not 100% right now. This just isn't the hitter that we saw leading into July. Yeah, who made the all-star team. Um, but for him to have two hits late in that game, he only had two hits his previous 10 games. Uh, they need to get this guy going because he's the best first baseman they have mm. on the roster. There's no question. Um, you know, He also spared the bullpen, and, and that's – the obvious point to make: you lead five-one in the sixth inning. Uh, you know, Friday night you led two-nothing in the seventh inning. Uh, you lost the Friday night's game. You were on the verge of losing Sunday night's game. 
Um, you know, the the fact that the offense is sort of able to operate as an individual entity away from the bullpen in this team. <laughs> it's almost like there's no scar tissue among the rest of the team when the bullpen blows a game. The hitters, the position players, don't seem to get down. They just seem to rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at Friday's game, they lose a 2 nothing lead. They go down 3-2. J.D. Martinez hits an RBI single to tie it. It's it's 3-3 right away like that. Right. Um, they have a sort of resilience to them. Uh, and, and that might be maybe the one saving grace that they're going to have if the bullpen doesn't figure it out in the postseason is that their offense at times might be able to bail them out of these difficult situations. Sure, you know, and and um, as we all know, in, in the playoffs, you are facing really tough pitching. Everyone is really laser-focused. Uh, uh, managers aren't giving any pitcher the, the benefit of the doubt. As soon as there's trouble, you're bringing a fresh arm in. But... Um, on the other side of that, Bill, is this was the Houston Astros, and and like you, I expect that we're we're going to see them again here uh, in the postseason. And uh, uh, as as troubling as uh, the bullpen has been, the bats really have come through for the most part, and uh, particularly J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts, who have been doing it really all year long, and more lately has been Xander Bogarts, who's uh, whose power numbers have really been fantastic. Yeah, you've got to highlight those three guys out of the series. Uh, Mookie Betts was unstoppable. Uh, he was 7 for 11. He walked four times. He scored five runs. Um, you know, w- was just a terror uh, atop the order. Sunday night, he scored three runs. He reached each, each of his first three times and scored all three times. Mm-hmm. For him to be the catalyst in the lineup like that from the leadoff spot, it's exactly what Alex Cora has talked about right from the start of the season. This was what he wanted out of Mookie Betts. This is why he's hitting leadoff, and, and we're seeing it pay dividends here. Uh, Xander Bargarts has, has turned into an elite run producer for this team. He's going to hit 100 RBI this year. He's already set a career high. He's matched his career high with 21 home runs. I assume he's going to hit one over the last 18 games. I would think. I, I would, right. I would, and he's hitting something like 360 in, in the month of September, which, you know, I know it's still early. It's only the 10th. But unlike the last few seasons when we've really seen him kind of cool off and maybe tire out at the end, it's been the opposite. His last seven games, he's 12 for 23, two doubles, two home runs, seven runs batted in. This weekend, he was eight for 12. He was outstanding. And, and then, you know, J.D. Martinez, who, for him, by his standards, has been in a little bit of a drought in terms of home runs. Mm. Uh, before Sunday night, he'd only homered twice in his previous 22 games. Uh, but in that stretch, he's hitting 333 and getting on base at 418 clip. Uh, so, when Martinez goes to Alex Cora and he jokes and says, I feel like Luis Castillo, the the, in, the infielder, uh, utility infielder in the National League in the 90s and in the 2000s, he says, I feel like Luis Castillo. I'm a singles hitter now. Uh, and Cora says, yeah, give me a break, J.D. You're hitting 340. Right. You know, right. calm down. Right. And he did hit that 40th home run. Uh, right. You know, hits, I don't hits remember his, Luis Castillo doing that. Hits his 40th home run. Yeah. Uh, he's the first Red Sox player to hit 40 home runs in a season since David Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Um only had two hits this weekend against Houston, but still managed to drive in six runs. Uh, and that's the sort of elite run producer you need J.D. Martinez to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though he might be, quote-unquote, struggling at times at the plate, he's still going to be able to come through in situations like that and sort of power this offense with the guys getting on base in front of it. Sure, sure. Was it Saturday night that he was up there at the end of the game with a chance to win it? And obviously it didn't, it didn't work out for him. But, you know... If you had to pick anybody to be up in that in that spot, you would pick J.D. Martinez, of wouldn't you? Of course you would. Of course you would. In, in this lineup, it's it's either Martinez or Betts. Yeah. 
those are the two stars. And I think you saw them both show up on Sunday, stand up and be counted when the Red Sox really needed to win a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that bodes well for the postseason. This, you know, this doesn't look like a lineup that's going to go out in a five or seven game series, sort of roll over and score two runs in four games and, and be easily dismissed. These mm-hmm. guys seem, especially at the top, you know, maybe one through five and one through six, to be able to grind out at bats, to be able to score runs against, whether it be elite pitching, your bullpen, they're second in the league in OPS against opposing bullpens. Um, you know, they're going to be able to muster a threat and they're going to give someone a chance to get in that box with either the tying or the go-ahead run on base and come through with one swing. Uh, so before uh, Houston rolled into town, uh, we should uh, just touch on the previous series, and that was down in, uh, down in Atlanta. Um, the Red Sox swept the Braves, and Braves are a pretty good team. Mm, they uh, are. And um, uh, Wednesday night, I believe, well, Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday afternoon, yeah. Was, uh, was Brandon Phillips' uh, sort of coming out party with the Red Sox. That was, uh, that was something. Yeah, uh, hits a two-run homer in the ninth inning uh, in a 9-8 win. The Red Sox were down 7-1 to one in the eighth. Uh, yeah, made, in the eighth, trailing the eighth. Sixth run, six runs. To, yeah. to put it in some perspective, uh, there had been 487 games played in Major League Baseball before that one where a team had trailed by six runs or more in the eighth inning. They've lost all 487. <laughs> and the Red Sox, being the Red Sox of 2018, were the first team to win such a game coming from behind. Well, what's, what's remarkable is not only did the Red Sox win because they've, done, they've been doing you know, sort of eye-opening things like that all season, but it was Brandon Phillips who spent, you know, pretty much spent the season down in Pawtucket, gets called up when the roster is expanded, and uh, you know, really obviously chipped in with that, with that bomb. And it, was, it wasn't a cheapie. No, no. 430-plus uh, <laughs> feet. Yeah. Um, you know, as you said, was out of baseball until late June. He signed a minor league deal with the Red Sox. Uh, had chances to opt out of his contract in Pawtucket on multiple times. Uh, you know, they they set dates in those contracts. If you're a veteran, you know they'll say if you're not promoted to the major league roster by let's say July 31st, you can opt out, or August 31st, you can opt out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Phillips said on Friday. Uh, at Fenway when he met with the media that he got the sense that there was something special going on uh, with the parent club in Boston and it was something that he wanted to be a part of Uh, you know and the interesting thing is you look at the Red Sox now and they have three of the best second basemen you know in the last 15 years whether it be Brandon Phillips Ian Kinsler Dustin Pedroia that's right Uh, and and Phillips sort of spoke to like a a brotherhood between the three of them Mm. Uh, you know they've seen each other at all-star games and watched each other from afar and you know now they can sort of collaborate as as 35 and you know 34 35 37 year olds and and sort of you know trade some stories over what it's been like to play that position over the years and what it's been like to have so much success in the game so in that respect he's gone from minor leaguers who he's sort of mentoring a little bit to his peers going down the stretch and and you know all three of those guys trying to get a ring and and I think you know he he's going to be a good addition to the clubhouse he he seems like a good guy in there uh, a respected guy and someone who could be an outside contender to make a playoff roster here yeah it's interesting to see uh, you know if he'll be on that roster uh, come October because there are some things that he can bring obviously you know it's always a numbers game you know how many pitchers do you want to carry how many utility players and all that but uh, you know, I, I think he's certainly making a case for himself. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if he'll be with the team. Uh, you know, you mentioned Dustin Pedroia. We did have a little bit of news uh, recently in that uh, he won't be back at all this season, which you know really is not a surprise, right? 
No, not at all. Uh, you know, the left knee has kept him out. Um, you know, since the the Houston series, which was at the end of May and mm-hmm. the start of June uh, in Houston, um, he's been on the disabled list. And you know, all this stems from the offseason surgery, the the cartilage restoration procedure, which it was sort of unprecedented among baseball players, and, and something that they knew was going to take a long time to recover. Uh, he's had a couple setbacks here. The real news at the end of last week was that he had had another scope in July uh, in Arizona to remove some scar tissue from the knee. And once he had that additional scope, uh, that would that put him behind for good. That, that put him in a spot where he was not going to be able to come back this season. He ends with three games played, three more years on his contract, and, yeah. and really you know, a lot of questions going forward that, in terms of his Red Sox future. That's, that's the big one. He's got three more years on his deal. And I think you know, I think a lot of people uh, at the time when that deal was signed probably said, well, you're probably going to have one or two kind of down years at the end. But it looks like you, you know, well, I mean, who knows what kind of shape he'll be in. But it looks like you have three years that where you may not get the Dustin Pedroia you thought you were going to be getting at the onset of that uh, and that new contract. Yeah, it was, you know, at the time it, it was a bit of a career achievement type deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it is below market for an elite second baseman when you consider what Robinson Cano got from the Mariners, for example. Sure. Well, yeah. Um, you know, but he appears to be, PED suspension aside, he appears to be a, a more productive player into his mid and late 30s yeah. than P- Pedroia is and has a chance of being, um, only because he's a better hitter and always has been. Uh, you know, in Pedroia's case, though, the Red Sox have one other second baseman under contract uh, for next year, and that's Brock Holt. Hmm. Um you know, unless you want to force Zue Lin up here to, to play, either as a full-timer or as someone who's going to split time off the bench, uh, you really have no other internal solutions right, right. now at, at second base. Uh, you know, So taking the sort of cautionary approach with Pedroia, giving him time, shutting him down, sending him into the offseason, and, and trying to have him ready for spring training, I think that's really the only, pro- uh, the only approach that they could have taken here. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean Kin- Kinsler is a free agent after the season, and and Nunez is, as well, right? He was a was a one year deal. He has a player option, um, oh. but his player option, if he were to exercise it, he would be underpaid. And I think as we've seen with Nunez as the season has gone on, not only has he gotten healthier, uh, but he's a lot more comfortable at third base mm. than he is at second sure. base. He fields the position much better, uh, and it's probably a much better fit there, whether it be with the Red Sox next season or somewhere else. Um, so you're looking at. An opening there, uh, whether it be for Pedroia, for Holt, for Lynn. Um, I think the Red Sox envision Pedroia playing there. How much, we don't know. It's right. something that we're going to have to revision, uh, revisit you know, next February when they convene for spring training. So uh, so let's look ahead here a little bit this week. Uh, Red Sox are off tonight on Monday as we uh, record this. Uh, they open a series against the Toronto Blue Jays uh, this week, and then they welcome in the New York Mets over the weekend. Uh, so the Red Sox are taking a page out of the Tampa Bay Rays uh, playbook in a sense in that they're going to send out their starter uh, for just a few innings and call him the opener, I guess. And that person this time is Chris Sale, but uh, it's probably for different reasons than why the Rays do it. Yeah, a very important start for Chris Sale. Uh, two innings or 40 pitches, whichever he goes, that's what they're targeting for right now. Nathan Evaldi is going to be behind him and in Sale's case, he's only pitched once since July 27th, and he's sort of been ramping up on his throwing program, playing catch, throwing bullpens, but 
this is a guy that you obviously need out there and, and that you're going to need for the postseason. And I think if you get him out there on September 11th, you still have three weeks left in the season. Theoretically, he could make three or four more appearances. Um, you could line him up to start Sunday uh, against the Mets and then line him up again the following week uh, against the Indians. You'll be in Cleveland for a series starting on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be his turn again. The following a week from this Friday. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, And you could sort of give him his regular turns. Uh, to the point where you're going to build him up to six or seven innings by his last start and 100 pitches. And I think you're going to have just enough time to get him to the point where that last start is going to be six or seven innings and 100 pitches. And you're going to feel like he's playoff ready. I I think the most important thing to stress here is that Chris Sale believes, more than the club, (laughs) Chris Sale believes that he could have been pitching all the way along. And And I think that's a real important distinction to draw is that the player was more annoyed than he was scared of this injury, this mild left shoulder inflammation. Uh, the player was more annoyed at being shut down by the club uh, you know, than having to take his time and, and whatever else. Uh, right. So I think that speaks to how Sale really feels, and I think that speaks to how he's going to attack these outings coming down the stretch into the playoffs. Right. Well, I mean, look, if you look at just the bottom line here, when the Red Sox swept the Yankees in that series, whatever that was, a month ago or whatever. At beginning of August, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, a nine-and-a-half game lead. So here we are at the beginning of, of September. Sale has missed at least a couple of starts. And as we as we uh, speak today, they're eight-and-a-half games up. So they really haven't lost any ground or much ground. No. And I think that as long as, and this is obviously the million-dollar question, as long as there is... There are no further setbacks here with Chris Sale. I think the Red Sox have him sort of right where they want him. Yes. Right? I mean, they are limiting his innings. However however they decided they were going to do that, they are doing it. He's going to come out for a couple of innings on Tuesday. They'll probably limit his, his uh, pitch count, his following start. And as, again, as long as there are no uh, health issues, you're sort of hitting the playoffs um, at full strength. And that's really what you need with Chris Sale, because as we've said many times on Twin Bills, you ain't going nowhere if you don't have Chris Sale in October. It's a very good point that you make, Bill, uh, and I think it's a very interesting twist in the narrative that when he was dominating his way through June and July, everyone was jumping up and down and saying, you need to limit his innings, you can't let him pitch like this, you can't let him throw 100 pitches. And that's what they did. And now, (laughs) two months later, it's you need to get him out there. He needs to throw. He needs to start. Yeah, he and needs I, I to build just don't understand. Pitches. Yeah, I don't understand the urgency of that. Not with an eight and a half game lead. And I, you know, I'm not saying I'm not calling the Red Sox liars here. But what I am no. saying is, and probably the same thing Chris Sale is saying is, is if this was a one game lead or half game lead, and you were living and dying here with with every game, he would be in there for the most part. Absolutely. Why? You know, but absolutely, you've got this big lead. You know, whatever you need to do to to rest him, because we've seen what happens with him. If you don't rest them, um, you know, so I think uh, as long as, again, as long as there are no health uh, setbacks here, sort of a tip of the cap to to how this was handled. And, uh, you know, it looks like he'll be hitting October sort of in that uh, in that groove. So uh, the other person you're really going to need to help anchor that postseason rotation is David Price. And he's certainly been living up to the hype. As of late, yeah. Friday night, uh, David Price looked very good against Houston, and you know, as we said, that's a very difficult lineup, and and more importantly, a very right-handed lineup. Right. Uh, you know, so for David Price as a left-hander. 
to pitch so well against them to get into the seventh inning to leave the game with the lead uh, that ultimately the bullpen blew for him. Um, obviously, he he pitched very very well in that game. Um, you know, striking out ten, seven of those were looking. He had fastball command on both sides of the plate again, which has been sort of the the most consistent thing that he's had since the All Star break. It, it's been the strongest part of his arsenal. Um, you know, for him to pitch that well against Houston, a, a team that he's probably going to see again if this team's going to go to the World Series, uh, you know, and to feel good about himself after that outing, I, I think that's just huge, uh, considering he took that line drive in, in the previous start that he made, and it was a very scary scene. He leaves the game after three innings. Uh, you, you're not really certain what's going to happen to him over the next couple weeks. For him to come back out and to look healthy, look like the guy he's been since the All-Star break, I think that's very important for them. So let's uh, let's look ahead a little bit here and and, um, and talk about what that playoff rotation may look like. Um, so you're going to have Sale. You're going to have Price for sure. Got to believe you're going to have Porcello yeah. as your number three. Uh, so from there, what do you think? Uh, what I think is they're going to start Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, you know, who had a great start off the disabled list in Chicago against the White Sox. He was dominant, struck out 12 in six innings, uh, and then was uneven on Saturday against Houston. He gave up five runs in three and a third, yeah. uh, struggled a little bit with his secondary pitches. Uh, his fastball was very good at the start, um, you know, but he sort of got out over the plate a couple times uh, with his cutter, with his changeup, and he was punished by a very good lineup. Sure. Uh, you you really can't make mistakes against those guys, in particular Alex Bregman right now, who is hitting himself into the MVP discussion. Yeah, really remarkable. Uh, you know, just an, an outstanding player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy who shares a very close relationship with Alex Cora still, um, someone who Cora lavished praise upon over all three games at, at Fenway uh, before the game, just spoke to Bregman's talent, his work ethic, his passion for baseball. And it shows uh, the way he plays and, and how difficult and out he is. If you're an opposing pitcher, it shows. Uh, and, and he got Rodriguez for a home run on Saturday. Uh, but I think with Ivaldi backing up Sale, uh, on Tuesday night against the Blue Jays. I think that's a bit of an audition. Hmm. Uh, and I also think that we've seen the Red Sox sort of trying to finish off the AL East while auditioning bullpen roles here. Yeah, right. uh, they've tried Joe Kelly in certain spots. They've tried Stephen Wright in a couple spots. Uh, you know, They're going to try Brian Johnson or Drew Pomeranz against lefties to see if they're worth carrying an extra pitcher to get a lefty out. Hmm. Um and a lot of this has been necessitated by Matt Barnes battling some left hip inflammation. He shut down for now. Uh, they're they're just exercising some caution with him. But uh, you're you're trying to figure out on the fly how you're going to get to Craig Kimbrell in the ninth. And and I think uh, you know Cora is is open to shortening that bridge as well. He had Kimbrell pitch the ninth inning on Sunday night in a tie game. He said Kimbrell was going to go back out for the tenth as well uh, and would like to lengthen him to four or five outs and maybe get him into a game in the eighth inning here Hmm. down the stretch and see if he can finish it off. So I think the Red Sox are doing a little bit of mixing and matching here and and trying to figure out on the fly what they do have for that playoff roster. Well, it certainly will be interesting to watch. Um, You know, they have 18 games to play, if my math is correct. Correct. They are 98 and uh, 46. Again, eight and a half games up. Um, and with, uh, with a couple of weeks left to go, 
And, you know, in an ideal world, Bill, you have this thing wrapped up in a week, a week and a half or so, and you spend that last week doing exactly what you said and, and you know, running guys out as, as auditions for the postseason. Although I do have to say, though, I <clears throat> we haven't been very critical of a lot of things, but if there's one thing I guess I would be critical about is that they haven't really addressed their bullpen issue this year. And there are reasons for that. You know, they didn't have the prospects to go out and get a Zach Britton or they didn't want to, um, you know, you know, I don't even know if there was a free agent guy out there to get. Uh, but it does sort of raise a, a, a bit of a red flag with me that we, that, uh, that you know, we've been talking about bullpen issues all year and they, they really haven't addressed it. They've hoped Tyler Thornburg maybe would have been a bit of an answer. He hasn't shown to be. Uh, and so that question that was brought up early in the season, we're still talking about it here after Labor Day. Yeah, it, it was always the major hole in this roster. Um, yeah, and, and you're looking at a, a situation where they thought they had internal solutions. That's what they were saying publicly right. anyway. That's what right. Dave Dombrowski said. Whether or not he really believes that or whether or not he knows full well that his hands were tied in terms of what he had to offer for other teams mm-hmm. uh, to get bullpen arms. You know, Look at a guy like Brad Hand, for example, who ended up moving to Cleveland and who still has a couple of years of control is probably going to be Cleveland's closer yeah. next year and the year following. They traded Francisco Mejia to the Padres, a top 25 prospect, the number one catching prospect in baseball. The Red Sox don't have a guy right, like that. Right, their coverage is just is is not stocked like that. They just don't, and they're trying to re, they're sort of trying to redeem their system right now, sort of refill it, backfill it, if yep. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't necessarily have the guys in the minor leagues to make a trade for an elite option. And the question that will be asked at the end of all this. Uh, even if they win the World Series, uh, but anything short of that, the question that will be asked is, was this missed evaluation mm. by the Red Sox front office, or was this underperformance by the options that you had? Right. Did you really think that Matt Barnes, Tyler Thornburg, Joe Kelly at all were good enough at their best mm. to win your World Series? Mm-hmm. Or did you just you know, maybe not necessarily have the ammunition to go out and get guys who are better than them. Right, right. Well, uh, these answers obviously will uh, will show themselves here over the next few weeks. It certainly will be uh, fun to watch. Uh, More and more your prediction is looking uh, spot on that that last series against the Yankees will mean absolutely nothing. Uh, But uh, Whitman, get on that sound. (laughs) That's right. We need that one. Yeah. It's going to be the one it's, time I'm right all year. It's in here somewhere. I just, uh, yeah, we just we need somebody with a little bit more technical ability to, to drag it out. And that would be uh, Whitman Littlefield, That's right. our, our uh, podcast czar here. <laughs> uh, ideally, he might be able to go into the vaults and, and pull that out because it'll be the one chance that he has all year to make me look smart. <laughs> no, no, that's not right. You look smart and sounded smart for uh, most of the season. Uh, so before we wrap this up, though, I, we should just put in a quick word here uh, about Kevin Bowles who is the uh, Pawtucket Red Sox manager who, who has informed the uh, the organization that he won't be coming back uh, next season. Uh, I thought Kevin had done a pretty good job down down in Pawtucket as a player development guy um, and certainly wish him well in whatever he does moving forward. Yeah, uh, in my case, uh, a personal note of thanks uh, to Kevin Bowles. Uh, you know, as, as anyone who knows me knows, uh, my background in sports writing is lar- largely high schools and colleges. 
uh, you're dealing with kids who actually want to talk to you, and it's uh, a much more relaxed setting. Uh, you than, mean David Price doesn't run up to you and want to talk to well, you after a game? It's 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 more of a transactional ah. relationship than right. it is, you know, sort of building a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a personal level. It, it's those guys have to deal with me. I have to deal with them. You can find common ground and you can be cordial and, and nice to one another, but you're only going to know them for a period of years. You're not going to know them for the rest of their lives. You know, I, right. I, I might be able to tell you what Jared Terrell is doing in, in 25 years. I might not know what Mookie Betts is doing mm. in 25 years. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is the market. Boston's just so big. It's very difficult to, to get to know players and, you know, to get to know managers or whatever else. Uh, you know, but Bolsey in, in that way um, was wonderful. He, you know, was patient. He was insightful. Uh, he was thoughtful with answers, um, was obviously a, a good player development guy. If you look at the talent that Pawtucket has sent to Boston, uh, some of the pieces that have helped the Red Sox this year and, and in previous years, uh, and you listen to the way that those guys speak about him uh, in terms of the way he ran his clubhouse, in terms of the way he was able to communicate with them and, and sort of help them through some difficult times, whether it be at the plate or on the mound, and, and sort of steer their careers to the point where they would end up in the major leagues. That That's where everyone wants to be. AAA is a very difficult level sure. to be an instructor because it's someplace that no one wants to be. Yeah. You're so close to the majors, you can reach out and touch it, but you're not quite there yet. And a lot of guys, as, as Bolsey would say, they get caught playing mini-GM, right. where they sort of say, well, I'm better than this guy, sure. and he's on the major How league roster, but I'm up. not there. Why yeah. is he called up? Right. Uh, right. And a lot of that is sort of managing those expectations and those difficult times. And I thought he did a very good job of that. I think he's going to land on his feet regardless of where he goes in baseball. Uh, And I would expect to see him in a major league dugout at some point, whether it be as a base coach, as a bench coach, uh, as some sort of instructor on the side, because he has that sort of presence with players. And I think he has that sort of intellect for the game. Great. Well, with that, we will wrap up this edition of Twin Bills. You know, this went so well, Bill. Maybe we'll do another one this week. That'd be great. Right. I think that's a good idea. (laughs) Okay. Until then, um, this is Bill Corey uh, in the Providence Journal Newsroom. We'll uh, see you next time. Thanks, folks.